0: This message was presented at the GYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org Good Morning, GYC. How are you doing this morning? Good. Awesome. Uh, I'm wondering... How many of you guys are from the West Coast by a show of hands? Wow! The entire front section is from the West Coast. You realize you are here at, at uh, what time is it, West Coast time? 4 30 in the morning? That is incredible. Praise the Lord for you. Um, you make me feel better. Um, I think I was introduced already. They told you my name is Siku. Yes. Uh, my full name is Kululegele Uh Jeff, he came to ask me how he should introduce me, and I said, don't worry about my last name, because I knew he was going to butcher it, and, you know, so don't worry about it. Um, I'm originally from Zimbabwe, so I want to say hi to my family if they're watching. And I am so blessed to be here at GYC. After I got over the initial and subsequent shock from the president of GYC giving me a call to invite me to speak this year, I got really excited about the topic, the great controversy. Um, I worked for several years as a counselor um, at secular universities. And I remember giving a Bible study to a group of four young ladies three of them were not adventist and it was a bible study on the great controversy the look on their faces as the reality of what the meta narrative in the bible is hit them it's it was indescribable it was like whoa the world makes sense kind of look and from that moment i realized that we have truths we have truths that the world is hungering and thirsting for. It gives, kind of gives a framework to understand why things are how they are and how the world works and all these things. And I just came to really love the message of the great controversy. So I was very excited to be invited to share and, and praying about what exactly to talk about. What the Lord impressed me with and what we're gonna do for the next few mornings is to talk about issues in the great controversy. So not specifically necessarily going through the story of the great controversy, but issues in the great controversy as I've come to experience them in my own life. So that is what we're going to do in the next few mornings. Is that all right? All right. Um, oh, I, I, I made a mental note to give a disclaimer. My friends say that uh, when I get excited about something, that my accent... Changes. Um, since I came to America, I've learned how to roll my R's a little bit more so that Americans can understand me. Um, funny story, I went to a restaurant with some friends. The waitress comes and she's asking, Oh, what would you like to drink? And I said, Oh, could I just have a glass of water, please? And she said, uh, Excuse me? I said, Oh, um, a glass of water, <laughs> as if that would help. And she said, Oh, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Could you come again? And my friend had to intervene, and he said, Oh, she just wants a glass of water. <laughs> oh, my God. Really? I, I said water. W-A-T-E-R, water. And she couldn't understand me. So I've learned how to... I've try, I tried to roll, you know, the war and those kind of things. But when, when I, sometimes I forget, and, and I, the accent becomes more accentuated. So that's my disclaimer. I've said it, you know, so Shoma, if you're out there, forgive me. Okay. (laughs) All right, let's have a word of prayer again. This is for my sake, and then we'll jump right into the Word of God. Loving Father, um, we're privileged to spend time in your Word, to hear you speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. We invite his presence now um, so that the time that we spend together here would not be an exercise in futility, but it would be an opportunity for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, so that our lives will be changed. Father, we recognize that time is short and Jesus is coming soon. Prepare us to prepare the world for that soon return of Christ. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, and we're going to read together from verse 1 in Luke chapter 18. Luke 18 verse 1, I'm reading from the King James Version, not because I have anything against other versions per se, it's just my favorite version to study out of. Luke 18 verse 1 says, and he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And so this parable, we are given already what the goal was in giving this parable. It was that men ought always to pray and not to faint, meaning that it is possible for men to pray and yet faint. And this is what Jesus said, that there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. So in verse 2, it tells us that there was in a city a man of power. He was a judge in that city. He was a man who could say things, and things happen. But there's something peculiar about this judge, because usually, when you think about public servants, they are people who want to help people. But this judge was not that kind of a guy. He was a kind of a power-tripping judge because he wasn't there to help people. He didn't care about what God said was right or wrong. He didn't have a particular moral code that he operated under, nor did he regard men because sometimes people will do the right thing just because they fear God. They'll treat you well, not because they like you, not because they care about you, but because it's the right thing to do. You know, I was was in elementary school and this is an embarrassing story to tell but it's the first one that comes to mind. Um, And there was this kid in my class and he was so annoying. He was so annoying. Super annoying kid in my class. In elementary school, so I was really young. But I loved Jesus and I was a Christian even then. And this kid, he would just pester and pester. Everybody in the class thought he was annoying, okay? It wasn't just me. And uh, one day he was just, Getting, he was, he was um, uh, testing my Christianity, and I failed, okay? Uh, and the embarrassing thing is I slapped him, okay? <laughs> uh, <laughs> my little sister knows that I struggled with violence when I was young, <laughs> but the Lord helped me overcome, amen. <laughs> I went home that day, and, and the Lord would not give me rest. And, and all night, I probably slept a long time, but as a kid, you know, I felt like I didn't sleep at all because I was so stressed out. I'm like, Lord, I shouldn't have done that. And, and he brought conviction to my heart. I needed to apologize. Now, it's so embarrassing to apologize to the annoying kid, right? Because everybody thinks he's annoying and then I have to apologize. But I went to school the next day under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and I said, X, I won't mention his name. I am so sorry that I slapped you yesterday. And I don't know if he was just scared that I'll do it again, but he said, that's okay. <laughs> I didn't apologize because I cared about him. But, but because I feared God, because, because of my relationship with God, out of obligation, out of duty to God, I went and I gave that apology. So you understand that sometimes people do things Just strictly out of fear for God, not out of love for man. And sometimes, on the other hand, people do things just to look good in front of other people, right? We'll behave in a proper way just so that other people will think we are so awesome. uh, That we will dress a certain way so people regard us as holy. Or we'll, we'll dress a certain way so people regard us as pretty, I don't know. But we behave in a certain way for the sake of people but this guy this judge he didn't do anything for God he didn't do anything for man which left only who self the judge feared neither God neither regarded man and there was in that city a widow And this widow had a problem, you see, because she had a situation that she couldn't resolve on her own. She had lost her husband to death, and she had to manage her husband's estate. And you see, she she didn't have the resources to deal with a particular adversary who was on her case, so to speak, so she needed help in her situation. And you know this woman was desperate because of all people to go to. Who did she go to for help? That judge, right? That guy who doesn't care about anybody. She went to that judge and she begged the judge, avenge me of mine adversary. See, this woman was in a a, a desperate situation. She was in a situation that she couldn't do anything about. She was in financial straits. She was going bankrupt. And some of us are in a desperate situation. And some of us in our desperation go to broken cisterns. I don't know what your desperation is. You know, it it could be financial. I don't know how I'm going to pay for next semester's classes kind of situation. It could be emotional bankruptcy. In a relationship that is devoid of any kind of fulfillment emotionally, and there's a desperation that you experience in your life but there is a a bankruptcy that I know each and every one of us has. Let's turn real quick to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. See, the Bible tells us that all of us, Not just some, not just me who is evil and and beats people up in school when I'm in elementary, not just me, all of us have this problem because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is a problem that we all have. And in Zechariah chapter 3 from verse 1, Bible says, and he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment and will pause there. The scene that we have just seen, Joshua the high priest standing on behalf of the people of God and he's wearing filthy garments, which represents that Joshua and God's people are unclean. We have nothing pure to bring before God. And he stands there in his filthy garments and it says that Satan was standing at his right hand to resist him. And so you have Satan, the accuser of the brethren, the Bible tells us in Revelation. This guy who's been accusing the brethren for forever, you know, ever since time, our time began, he's standing at his right hand to accuse him. And what is he accusing him of? This guy, filthy. Look at that. There's no way you can accept him, her. Completely unworthy of your affections even, God. How can you take this person into your kingdom? How can you accept them as your child? You know what they do in their private time? You've seen. You've seen what they do when nobody else is looking. You've seen how they act. You even know God. You know things that I don't even know, Satan says. Like, you know what they think. When they see people walking by and, you know, those passing thoughts that pass through their mind. And he says, these are filthy, filthy people. And Joshua is standing there. With nothing to say. And why does he have nothing to say? Because it's true. He looks at himself and he says, I am filthy rags. All my righteousness is like filthy rags. Everything I bring before God, filthy, filthy, filthy. With what can I come before the Lord? And he has no answer to give and when we look at ourselves there is no way that we could be saved look even the good things that we do you know they come out of selfish motives and so this woman she goes before the judge and she says judge Look, I have a situation in my life that I can do nothing about. It's not just that I do sinful things, but I am a sinful person. And I need your help because I cannot do this by myself. This high ideal that we have of being a Christian, I cannot attain to it. And worse, when I look at Jesus... He's so perfect and that's who I'm supposed to be like. There is no way. No way. And it's true. And she goes pleading to this judge because she has a situation that she can do nothing about. Just as we have a situation that we can do nothing about. The beautiful thing and we already read it here in Zechariah chapter 3. Because the Lord steps in in our behalf, Amen. You see, Jesus, He came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, and that's the whole point of Christianity: is that we need a Savior. Without Him, hopeless. But Jesus came; He, he steps in, and He says, Mm-mm. "It's not because He's awesome." No. He says, this is a brand plucked out of the fire. And you know what? Jesus himself came into the fire to pluck us out. Amen? He didn't just stand by and send an angel, okay, yo, you know, "Go, go pluck that person out. No. He came into the fire. He put his life on the line so that we could have a hope in the world. Praise the Lord. This is a brand plucked out of the fire. And so when we look at Jesus... When we look at Jesus and what he has done for us, there is no way we could be lost. No way! Salvation is assured in the cross. We have a hope that is secure. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 18. The story continues in verse 4. This woman came to, her advers- to, the, to the judge and she said, avenge me of mine adversary. And the story tells us, not surprisingly, that the judge would not. He would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, oh, though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. You know, I... I used to do this, but let me use other people as a... I think I've put myself out there too much already. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about little kids. Have you ever seen little kids when they have candy? Like, you know, an aunt. Okay, fine. I do this sometimes. You know, my nieces and nephews, I'll take candy to them. And I know candy's not good. Thou shalt not eat candy. Bad for your teeth. Bad, for, bad, period. But you know, it's so hard. You want to be the favorite aunt. So, you know, you bring the candy to the kids. And, you know, and now the parents have a dilemma, right? Because they can't let the kid eat the candy. And so mama will say, oh, no, not now. No candy for you right now. And, and the kid will be holding the candy in their hand. And, um, and they ask again, may I please eat the candy? You know, using the really cute kid voice. And mom will say, no, you've had enough candy for the next 10 years. And, uh, <laughs> right? and, kid will, and it's almost as if the child thinks by asking 10 times, mom's mind will change, right? It's like, but please. And don't we do that with God sometimes? You know, like, this thing that we know is not necessarily good for us. We're like, but, but, but God, but, I know you already said in your word that I I shouldn't, but, 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 please. You know someone in the Bible who did that? Balaam? Remember the story? (laughs) He gets an invitation to go curse God's people. Okay, he gets an invitation to go curse God's people. So he comes to God and says, God, may I please go curse your people? Please? Seriously, Balaam? I mean, come on. Okay, but we do that, right? We come to God. I know you've already revealed in your word, but please, can't I just be the exception just this one time? Please? Let's turn to a, another instance of that in Genesis chapter 3. I was reminded of this instance, I was thinking about that concept. Genesis chapter 3, this is, Genesis 3 is my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. Uh, I should have it memorized by now. But I was impressed, you know, in yesterday's presentations. Anyone else is going to memorize more scripture? Amen. Okay, only five people, but that's all right. (laughs) The rest of you probably, you know, are almost there. Um, Genesis chapter 3. I love this chapter because it is a picture of how we ended up where we are right now, how we got into this mess. For me, it helps make sense of a whole lot of stuff. Sometimes when I read it, I'm like, oh, no wonder I struggle with that. It's all their fault. Genesis chapter 3 from verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. We know who the serpent is. Revelation tells us. Who is it? The devil, right? That old serpent called the devil and Satan. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. Did God really say "You you shouldn't do this? Yea, hath God said, Thou shalt not eat of every tree of the garden?" And the woman goes on to engage the devil in a conversation. Needless to say, let's not do that, right? No no need to have that conversation. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And so much we could talk about in just those three verses, but I would like for us to focus on verse 4 and 5. The serpent says to the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God knows... God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So the devil comes to the woman and says, So God told you that you shouldn't eat of the tree, right? And she's like, Yeah, you know, he said we shouldn't eat of the tree. And he's like, You know know why he said that, right? There's more to it than meets the eye, Eve. And let me break it down to you. You see, God is thinking, if I let these, these humanoids, human beings, eat of the tree, they will be like me. Which doesn't make sense, right? Because he already created us in his image. But anyways, he says... If, if I let them eat of the tree, they will be like me. And that is to say there is an aspect of God that, that we cannot attain to, even though we're made in his image. And that he's saying God is withholding certain aspects of who he is, so if you eat of the tree, you're going to be like him. And God is selfish. He is power hungry. And he doesn't want you to be like him in that way. You hearing it? You, you you see it in the text, yeah. God doesn't God 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 wants to withhold certain things from you. So I mean, given that his motives are not right, can you really trust him? I mean Eve, come on. Think with me. Look, I'm I'm touching the fruit right now. I'm eating the fruit, I'm not dead. Clearly God is trying to hold something back from you. And in those words, the devil places doubt about the character of God. And you see, in the great controversy, the thing that is in question really is the character of God. Can you trust him? When he tells you not to eat of that tree which is in the middle of the garden, just that one thing that he says not to do, everything else is open to you. Every day of the week you can work. Just one day, the Sabbath day is mine. 90 percent, just 10 percent, I want you to dedicate. Don't even touch it. But can you trust him? God only says that because he's greedy. Uh Yeah, him and his servants, the pastors, the ones who preach about tithes, Yep, Mm, They just want your money. You can't trust them. Mm. The character of God is what's in question. So you see, when Eve took of that fruit, she looked at it, I want you to note what she said in her mind. Verse 6, when, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, a tree de- to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. So even though God had already said, don't eat it, don't touch it. I, you know, he didn't say don't touch it. She said, he said don't. But he said don't eat it even though God had already specifically said not to eat it, in her mind she reasoned that this was good for food. If God says don't eat it, it's not good for food. Period. But in that action of eating that fruit, you know actions speak louder than words? You know, I can't can't imagine Eve actually saying I don't trust God. I can't imagine her saying that. But in that action of eating the fruit, she declared that she didn't trust God. And so ever since then, we struggled with appetite. God says, don't eat it. You want to eat it. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I struggle too. As a matter of fact, I know all of us struggle. I just know it as a fact. Because Eve struggled. Hence, all of us, we have the same problem. Okay, don't look at me like I'm a worse sinner than you. Okay, maybe I am, yeah. But still, we have the same problem. All right, let's turn to Luke chapter 4. Interestingly, as Jesus came up out of the water from his baptism and the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness and he was fasting and praying for 40 days. And the devil comes to him with temptations. What's the first area that he's tempted in? Appetite, the very first thing. And I mean, the man has been fasting for 40 days. Some of us, you make us fast for 40 minutes and we're we're struggling. He, forty days he's been fasting and praying, and the Lord and God supernaturally sustained him through those forty days. But at the end of it, the Bible tells us. Let's turn to Luke chapter four. Oh, I was in chapter five, like the wrong thing. Okay, Luke chapter four, verse two. And being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended the Bible almost states, uh, 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 what's the?" I had such an elegant word for it and I lost it, like a, uh, you know, an obvious thing, <laughs> okay? The Bible says that he was afterward hungered. But it states that because that's an important element to the story. Jesus was actually hungry. It's not that he was standing there and he's just like, oh, you know, nah, food, pssh, food, whatever. He was hungry. And the devil comes to him and strikes at his weakest point. The man is hungry and he says, Jesus, you have the power to turn these stones into bread. But I would like for you to note how he says that. In verse 3, the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Just prior to this, we mentioned Jesus had been baptized. And when you read in Luke chapter 3, in the middle, I think it's around verse 22. It says that when he came up out of the water, there was uh, the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and alighted upon him. And then there was a voice that came from heaven. And what did it say? This is my, my beloved son. Am I pleased in him or not? Yes. God had already said, this is my beloved son. God's word had already spoken. This is my beloved son. In him, I'm well pleased. And the devil comes 40 days later and he says, I don't know about what you heard back then because, I mean, look at you. You're in the wilderness and who led you here? The Holy Spirit? Mm. In the middle of nowhere and you're hungry. God couldn't even feed you? I mean, come on. Are you really the son of God? Look at the state you're in. And say, okay, 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 okay. I'll hand it to you. If and only if you are the son of God, then you will do this. And Jesus, in that moment, he had the option. Right? He's struggling against appetite. He, he wants food. And yet, he has God's word that has already declared him to be his son. And the devil casting doubt on God's word. Do you trust what God said? Because, I mean, a God who calls you his son and then treats you like this? Well, here's one thing that maybe would pacify me. Turn these stones into bread. But Jesus said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Amen. He said, no matter what my circumstance looks like, no matter what the situation around me looks like no matter what other people may say, I have the assurance of God's word, and God has already declared in His word that I am His son. I don't need to prove it to you. I have nothing to prove to you. He said, no, you know what? Even though I'm hungry, there's something that's more important to me. It's the word of God. And God's word is important to me because I trust His Word, because I trust God. I trust God. If Eve in the Garden of Eden had trusted the Word of God, you should said, you know what? Uh Uh-uh. I don't care what the fruit looks like. Even though it looks good for food, pleasant to to the eyes, and I think it's going to make me smarter, wiser. I don't care about all the appearances of things because I have God's word and his word said, don't eat it. I'm not eating it because I trust God. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 18, drawing to a close. Now I must mention this, you know, uh, Luke chapter 18 comes after Luke chapter 17. Uh, I am so smart. Okay. Uh, (laughs) In Luke chapter 17, Jesus has been talking about the signs of the times, about the end times. And then he spake this parable unto them, saying that man ought always to pray and not faint. The parable comes in the context of an end time scenario. And, and I thought that was super appropriate because we are living in the end times. I don't care what other people say. Oh, we've been saying that forever. Yes, and we'll keep saying it until he comes back. We're living in the end of times. We're living in the toes of that image in Daniel chapter 2. Jesus is coming back. And in that context, Jesus himself told this parable. And for Jesus to tell a parable in that context makes it pertinent to us. Amen? The Lord said in verse 6, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And what did the unjust judge say? He said, even though I don't fear God, I don't regard men, but so that she stops bugging me, I'm going to give her what she wants. And then Jesus said in verse 7, Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? He, he draws a contrast here. He says, look, I want you to consider what the unjust judge did. He finally gave in because a woman was so persistent. And he says, do you think God is like an unjust judge? Is that your view of God's character? He's self-serving, power-hungry. The only reason he tells you to do stuff is because he's power-tripping. He's just trying to make your life miserable. That's your view of God? And he says, no. God isn't like that because in verse 8, he says, I tell you that he will avenge them. And he won't just avenge them, but he will avenge them speedily. And then he ends the parable, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. In order to experience a faith experience, faith is predicated on trust. You see, because in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it tells us, right, that uh, without faith, it is impossible to please him because he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You have to believe something about God in order to exercise faith. And so when, when... when I am doubting God's character, when I don't think that God is actually trustworthy, I don't think he's a nice guy even. You know, sometimes we don't even think God is nice. We think we're nice and God isn't. It's so sad. When we have this picture of God that is inaccurate, we cannot exercise faith in him. And then Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, Because this is a parable in the end time context. Will he find faith on the earth? And then that brings it home to us. When Jesus comes back, is he going to find faith in me? Is he going to find somebody who, who trusts him no matter what the circumstances I find myself in? Now, on the trusting, you know, this is where Christianity becomes real. This is where where it stops being about just stuff you read on a page. This is where you start applying stuff to your life, and it gets uncomfortable. I remember 10 years ago, (laughs) literally 10 years ago, I was at a GYC, and a speaker made an appeal that I didn't respond to. But it stuck in my mind. And the appeal was to give seven years, tithe your life, he said. Give seven years of your life in service to God. In dedicated service, we're always serving God. But in full-time ministry, he said, tithe your lives as young people. And I don't go up because I knew what I was going to do with my life. I was going to go to med school, become a doctor, and then I would serve the Lord while I made money. That was my goal. So I didn't go up. But God called me, not just once. He had to do it a couple times because I'm so stubborn. And eventually I I yielded. It came to a point where I knew that not to do this would be in direct disobedience to God. And so instead of going to my dream job after college, I said, okay, one year, (laughs) I just give you one year as a campus missionary. I'll do campus ministry. Go get trained to campus ministry, and then I can—I'll support other students as they do ministry. Just one year, and that's what I told my parents. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, seven years later, they were like, "Are you ever going back to school?" <laughs> like, yeah. But it took, for, and for me, that was—it was—it was a crazy experience because I had never had to trust God like that. And I'm not saying everybody needs to go do something like crazy that's going to make your parents mad and you're wondering if they're going to disown you. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about, you know, trusting God when he tells us to do stuff and it doesn't really make sense in the plan of my life. Because my plan is to get married and have 2.5 kids. Right? Right? And sometimes God says, you know what? I need you to go to China because there are leper colonies that you need to serve. And it doesn't make any sense. I'm a computer engineer. What do I know about taking care of of lepers? But God says, you know what? I know you're the only single young person in your church. But I want you to stay there to do ministry. And you say, no, Lord, I want to go to the Adventist Mecca where there are many options. (laughs) True stories, right? You're laughing because you know it's true. (laughs) But to trust God and stay in that podunk town of yours. To reach out to the people there. To trust God when when it doesn't seem to align with everything that you want to do with your life. This is where it becomes real. This is where Christianity became real for me. And this is where the great controversy is centered. Do you trust God? Do you trust Him? Do you trust what he's doing in your life? That in spite of everything, that he really does love you. And we'll end on this note that we talked about earlier. Main issue that was addressed in here about this woman's desperate situation and this is our desperation. Will we trust God that when he says we're forgiven, we're forgiven. And then with the forgiveness, he not only forgives us, but then he gives us power to overcome. Will we trust God in that? And say, Jesus, I know that I have the victory through you. Not because I'm anything, because I know when I look at myself, there's no way I could be saved. But when I look at you, Lord, there's no way I could be lost. Will you trust God with me today? Jesus overcame in our behalf so that we could have this victory. Through Christ we can do this. We can do this. We can trust God. We can do this because Jesus did it for us. Well, this is a super simple message, but this is what came when I prayed. This is how how I've experienced the great controversy in my life. Moment by moment, will I trust him Moment by moment, do I trust His Word? Moment by moment, will I put my life in His hands completely? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Loving Father, when Eve made that decision to eat the fruit that you told her not to eat and by so doing she declared that she didn't trust you, ever since then Humanity has had this problem of trusting you. And even though you've done everything to show you're trustworthy, even though you've laid your own life on the line so that we could have salvation, still we struggle with this thing. But Father, we're so thankful that Jesus came and that he overcame. And that through him, we can have the victory. That we can trust your word because Jesus has overcome in our behalf. And so we ask, Father... That the righteousness of Christ, that his life and his victory would be imparted to us. That you would give us the ability to overcome through Christ Jesus, our Lord. May this be our experience today. May we be an argument in favor of the character of God today. Because we choose to trust you. And these things we pray in your name. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.